0: Hey everybody, welcome to Midweek at Wayne Hills. My name is Jamie McClanahan.
1: And I'm Will Soto.
0: And we are the pastors of Wayne Hills. And we are glad to uh, really begin something new. This is only the the second time that we have uh, engaged in a Midweek at Wayne Hills podcast. And we hope to come to you every week to, to pray with you briefly and to talk a little bit about um, the scriptures and help you apply it and maybe think through a little more thoroughly some of the things... Oh. Yeah, man, I, we uh, we really have a heart to just continue to connect uh, throughout the week and to keep folks encouraged and going. Um, most churches have made some steps to really create more of a digital way of connecting and online, and so we uh, we really want to do that and to continue to be creative and apply those kind of ways to to keep people connected together to the Word of God and to each other. So uh, we just want to mention a handful of uh, prayer uh, emphasis uh, for the next uh, couple moments. One, just continue to pray for those who have uh, been um, afflicted by COVID-19, whether they are sick with it, whether they are quarantined because of it, uh, perhaps they are still recovering Um, I know there's um, some longer-term effects of COVID-19 that that families wrestle with. Uh, That's for sure. And so we we definitely want to pray and lift up um, those who are in our local community and our local community of faith with that and just continue to pray for and lift up um, the political um, things going on um, in Washington, D.C., just a lot of of strife, a lot of of, uh, gridlock there. And so we as Christians want to continue to be salt and light to the world, regardless of whatever arena that we're standing in.
1: So. That's right. All right. So, uh, so each week, uh, Pastor Jamie and I, we, we delve into uh, what we're calling the, the sermon remix. And uh, really, that's maybe a, a cool, fancy way of saying we're just going to discuss the sermon from the previous week. So uh, depending on who's preaching uh, that Sunday before, we'll sort of lead the discussion the Wednesday after. Uh, I had the, uh, the fortune Really, really good fortune of uh, of preaching this past Sunday, Romans chapter eight, uh, verses eighteen through twenty-seven. I won't read the passage just for the sake of time, uh, but I will encourage you if you have a, a copy of God's Word and you're maybe in a stationary place, not driving, um, that you would turn there, or you can just sort of listen into the discussion. Uh, Romans eight eighteen through twenty-seven. It's sort of uh, the tail end of our Romans eight series. We've been preaching through Romans eight for the past four or five weeks. Um, and soon enough, here in the next week or two, we'll be getting to the end of that chapter. Uh, we've titled that series, The Good Life, which seems on the surface of things to be a little bit, uh, I don't know, counterintuitive with everything going on in the world around us, um, that God's people can experience a good life, not just in eternity, but also in the here and now. And so uh, Romans 8:18 8, through 27, I've titled that sermon, Uh, groaning and hoping, because you see that word groan uh, several times in those verses. But it's also coupled with this idea that we're longing, hoping, anticipating something uh, far better than what we see or experience here uh, in the world around us. And so groaning and hoping. Uh, We'll go through a couple of just some basic ideas to give an outline for the sermon. And then there's a a really sort of specific discussion I want to have centered around the third idea. Uh, and the person of the Holy Spirit, so uh our scriptural idea for that for that text a summary statement for uh romans eight eighteen through twenty seven is that temporal earthly suffering is no match for the eternal hope we have in Christ, and though we groan now, rest assured our hope will be realized soon the The idea behind that is what we see around us really pales in comparison to the glory that lies ahead of us, right that comes that we're we're walking towards step by step day by day. And so even though right now we feel the effects of our sin, even though we feel the effects of a fallen world, and even though we have to sort of navigate it as best we can, we have the assurance, and therefore we should maybe take a deep breath, to say that at some point, those hopes and those assurances will come to fruition. We'll actually see the Lord face-to-face, and our faith will become sight. And so any any thoughts on Yeah, I do have some thoughts on this. (laughs) Um, uh, When
0: Pastor Will uh, is able to preach... I enjoy it because uh, I'm a learner, and I love taking notes, uh, but also because I get to sit with my family and worship with them, and so uh, I'm very thankful uh, for the time that, uh, that you're able to preach, mm-hmm. and I always learn. And uh, one of the things that's really interesting about this first point that you made, and when you explained this on Sunday in the sermon, you used words, I think, that were so helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about delayed gratification. Yeah. And, um, of course, we're applying that in the spiritual lens into our Christian lives. But, you know, you think about delayed gratification, and you have the, the, the guy who's, uh, or, or girl who's bodybuilding, right? They're, they're, they're denying themselves certain things in order to grow and to gain tone and mass and all that kind of stuff. Um, you have the same thing with the, the, the runner or the athlete who is denying themselves now so that they can cross the finish line with gratification, Uh, You have it with finances. You have some who will deny themselves perhaps the immediate pleasures of an expense in order to save up for a car or a house, you know. So we can relate to that, that Mm -hmm. delayed gratification um, pretty easily. But when you apply that to the spiritual realm, and particularly to this first section of scriptures of verses 18 through 22, it's spiritual delayed gratification. And I, I think that that really, to me, when you, you kind of said that on Sunday, it really made sense because, you know, we might be giving up some things now here on Earth, but it's it's delayed gratification because someday uh, all of our satisfaction will be will be met 100% uh, in heaven. Yeah, that's right. right.
1: That's a good point. Uh,
0: and so I, I think that the ultimate satisfaction is yet to come but we do get a taste of that satisfaction on earth. Right. And so the, the groaning is just realistic, right? <laughs> We're going to groan under the weight of, of sin. Um, whether it's our own personal sin struggle or it's the sin struggle of those around us, we are going to have to, to deal with that. Um, but knowing that there is an end to that, right? And that God is right. subversibly working. He is, um, he is restoring his people... Um, even though we can't always see it or understand it in the moment, um, he sees the entire picture. Yeah, for sure. Which, which you know, has helped me to, to consider the, the, the Old and the New Testament and 2,000 years of church history to see this truth just come out, that, that, that people of faith, men and women in the Old and New Testament and, and in church history, they have demonstrated this delayed spiritual gratification and Hebrews chapter 11, especially towards the end, talks a lot about how these these men and women of faith endured so much. Uh, they are people who the world was not worthy. right? Yeah. And yet the next uh, the next chapter in 12:1 it says, "So great a cloud of witnesses has gone on before us. They're in glory, they're in heaven. They've finished their race. And so delayed gratification uh, for us, means that someday we'll cross the finish line where there will be no more groaning and where we will have ultimate satisfaction for every desire that we have on earth.
1: Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point because you know the idea of of delayed gratification has its has its most uh visible application in the counseling world, even in parenting, you know, where we, we try to uh, measure self-control by saying, "Hey, you know, you let's let's hold off on this one thing. Right. It may be a good thing. It may not be a bad thing, because somewhere down the line, there's something far better. Yeah, something we should work towards. Something we should hold off for. Um, something we should anticipate a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and so that 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 helps sort of orient us towards." Self-control rather than impulsivity, a sense of of understanding rather than confusion, that kind of thing. And so I think we apply to the spiritual realm, you're right. there's a a real sense in which we live within this tension of, well, we see God's blessing, we experience God's goodness here, but we know that even God's goodness is simply an appetizer for a banquet, a feast, right that that awaits us. And so for us, living in that already but not yet sort of
0: yeah.
1: sort of tension, is uh, it can be difficult, and if we're if we're not careful, we can be overwhelmed at times with trying to pursue things to attain the good life here, all the while forgetting about what lies ahead. Right, and you that's know?
0: why I think it's sometimes so dissatisfying and frustrating for people who who define the good life. in in a misguided way because their expectations are never going to be fully met they're going to be disappointed because we've said it before the good in the good life is in Christ it's in Christ's life uh, is the good life and so they will—they will always come to a point of dissatisfaction. The book of Ecclesiastes is a survey of what pleasure taken to its full extent offers, that's right. and there is always dissatisfaction at the end of that road. Apart from fearing God and keeping His commandments, as the preacher in Ecclesiastes tells us.
1: Yeah, and that's a good point because if we're—if we're looking at this concept of delayed gratification and this sort of deferred hope that we have, right? That we're waiting for something better, then it means that if we're trusting the Lord and we're walking in faith, then we see Him for who He is and we know Him for what He does, right? And so it points us to something not just far better theoretically, but something we can experience, right? Something that we can tangibly, maybe visibly understand and know. And I think the scriptures remind us over and over again, really, chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 deals with the idea of redemption as being no condemnation and as being a demonstration of God's love, all these things. So when we look at the good life and when we consider this sort of deferred, delayed spiritual gratification, if we don't address the issue of what redemption will look like or what that means fully, I think we lose sight of, of what God intends, right? And so yeah. on, on Sunday, I went through, uh, sort of highlighted three encouragements from Romans 8, mm-hmm. 18 through 27, um, I'll read the, the first one and then give a sort of a, a general summary statement, same thing with the second one, but I want to hunker down on the third one because okay. it deals with the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and, and I think there's some some good things we can draw out from yeah. Scripture regarding, right. uh, regarding Him. So uh, the first encouragement uh, from verses 18 through 22 was that redemption includes all of God's creation, both animate. And inanimate. That's the the natural sort of creatures we see, plant life, that kind of thing, but also inanimate. That would be, you know, dust and rocks and dirt and all the things that we don't necessarily think of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right now, creation is groaning under the weight of sin, yeah. um, but longing for complete restoration. And I read somewhere um, that this idea of, of creation groaning under the weight of sin is like being weighed down with a heavy blanket. And redemption being the pulling off of that blanket to say... Hey, there's freedom, and there's there's this sense of oh, we're not encumbered by these things anymore. And so, uh, creation is groaning currently, right now, under the weight of sin, but longing for complete restoration. Uh, we know that one day all all of creation will be delivered, set free from the weight of sin, and able to function uh, the way God originally intended in in the garden. And so, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot a lot that we can <laughs> that we can talk about there. Um, something that um, really stuck out to me in in, in working through this portion of, of the scriptures was connecting it to some of the miracles that we see in the gospels where jesus demonstrates his authority as god over his creation we see it um, in the calming of the storm we see it in terms of um, him healing the blind you know the blind man we see him healing lepers we mm-hmm. see him forgiving sins all these things where the effects of sin on creation is sort of Hold back and taken away, yeah. so that redemption, even in a small sense, could be seen and understood and experienced by people.
0: Yeah, and that effect of uh, on all of creation. I mean, the the point of of complete restoration is that it's not just it doesn't just have to do with humanity. It's global. Yeah. It has to do with all things in the earth. Yeah. Right. And uh, you know, we could talk about what life was like in the Garden. We could talk about how things changed um, through Noah's life, and they get off the ark, and now they're uh, now they're they're able to eat uh, meat, right? And um, they're able to hunt, but animals will have a fear of man. Um, but we also look at passages of Scripture um, that refer to the end of all times, when uh, in the Book of Revelation, when there is a new heaven and a new earth, where uh, the infant will lay uh, will lay down next to the the lion and the scorpion and uh, creation will be in balance with one another um, you don't have to look long on any nature channels to know that um, there is discord in our world we could right. we could talk about global warming but when you look at the nature of nature <laughs> you don't have to to uh, watch a, a documentary on lions and wildebeest to know um, <laughs> that there's survival there and so there is a groaning um, in creation and, and, and especially in the supreme creation of humanity and I don't know if this is the place to discuss this or not but it might be in one of these other points but uh, you really, you talked about the importance of lament. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is a lost, I'm going to say lost art, but that is something that the people of God, more than ever, need to understand what it is to lament with hope.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I um, so I, I, if I remember right, I don't have my sermon notes in front of me, but if I remember right, uh, that was tied into Paul's opening in verse 18. Um, where he, he right. effectively says that he considers um, the sufferings of this life to pale in comparison to the weight of glory to come, right? right. Um, and I, th- I think I used the illustration of a scale. If you piled all of the suffering uh, that we experience and that's in the world on one side of the scale and put an ounce of glory on the other, the ounce yeah. of glory would would set that that scale down, right? right? That it would be completely imbalanced and that that ounce would outweigh all the other stuff. And I, I did mention that that God's people struggle with lament maybe this is unique to maybe the american church the western church where we have such um affluence right we have we have everything we need sort of at our disposal our fingertips there's really not a whole lot of there's really not a sense of loss or want Um, if we want it we can get it and there's a variety of ways to go after it and so um, i think what we end up losing though in that is this this deep urgency for God's provision or God's protection, right? Where when we see David in the Psalms lamenting his circumstances, knowing that the only source of provision or protection is God Himself, I don't know that we necessarily make that 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 sort of connection, right? And so we lose the ability to to lament, and so rather than lament, we despair. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. so instead of instead of going from I have a need and I need the Lord to take care of me and, and casting ourselves on his mercy and seeking him out in dependence. I think what ends up happening is we say, well, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the Lord is doing. And we automatically skip lament into this. I have to get it. What do I need to do to fix this? Yeah. Right. And that leads that leads to despair because I think our souls were created with this. You know, we talk about a God-shaped hole, right? Right. But I think we were, and, and I think there's some wisdom in that, that we we were created with this, desire this need for connection with our creator right and that that connection is not just in the praise and worship sense it's also in the dependency sense yeah. that he's caring for me and I'm casting myself upon him does that make sense?
0: it does and, and I mean the when, when we think about lament uh, it really is universal. You know, everyone laments. Uh, if you're a Christian or a non-Christian, it doesn't matter. We're humanity laments, but the end to which we lament of hope or despair, there is a significant difference there. There is, and for sure, I think there, there the one thing that I would say most uh, most people lament the most is suffering and death, and yeah. what would they say? Meaningless suffering or trying to find meaning in suffering. Uh, and ultimately, death. Uh, you know, the door of death grows larger and larger uh, as we age. And uh, for some, it is a dark, nasty door with yeah, true. who knows what's on the other side. But for believers in Christ, there's there's the light behind the door. That's right. And, and the voice of the Spirit uh, reminding us of God's promises, calling us forward, beckoning us ahead. And so we lament with hope and not despair. That's right. But even the, the uh, when we talk about those who, uh, who aren't Christians that lament, even the things that they put as answers for lament still leave you hungering, still leave you with question marks, right? Yeah, for And sure. people want their lives to be meaningful. They want to have a good life, it's true, but to them having a meaningful life is having a good life. And, of course, we know that that's tied up in Christ. He is our hope. So we lament as people who are hopeful because, as you say in your second point here, we are God's children. That's right. He's watching over us. That's right. We've been adopted. We have confidence. So lament, and I love that you mentioned that in the sermon, lament, because, man, I just feel like um, that that is so very important. And David has a bunch of lament psalms. You can look them up and read them and pray them. Um, but we have to have a way to spiritually deal with the suffering that we face daily as a community of faith, as a as a nation, um, as a covenant community of, of faith. And lament is a gift of God in that yeah, way.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I'll, I'll, you know, from a personal side, I think lament sort of... Uh, sort of disarms our pride a little bit because it forces yeah. us to look at ourselves for who we who we really are at least in in the circumstances that we're in yeah. um, and I know for me lament is not is not something that comes naturally to me <laughs> it's not an easy thing that I can sort of uh, say oh well today I'm gonna lament or I'm dealing with this let me go lament um, I think it, it it's something where lament sometimes is the product of, of maybe prayerfulness where we're seeking we recognize a circumstance and we we take our our petitions to the lord yeah. and there we're able to sort of express the cry of our heart to him right recognizing that hey some of this suffering that we deal with yeah some of it might be self inflicted because we're we're fallen humans right even though we're redeemed but i think some of it is just the weight of sin around us the effects of sin in other people's lives right. that cause us to have this moment of what is going on right and for me that's a that's a place where my pride has to be disarmed so that I can bear my soul to the Lord, one, who already knows, (laughs) and two, is there standing ready to offer uh, encouragement and offer uh, truth where maybe some lies have crept in in different places. So I I do think that lament for for us as God's people might even be uh, a spiritual discipline to a degree where we maybe set aside time to really consider uh, these kinds of things and to really take some purposeful time, meaningful time with the Lord in prayer, bringing our requests and our petitions to him so that he can infuse us with this sense of hope and this reminder that, hey, though things may seem wrong now, I'm going to take care of them, right? Yeah. We, we're looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth and being new creations fully realized with him.
0: Yeah, I think uh, when, when you had uh, the second point of the message there was redemption includes the adoption of God's people as children— uh, right now, suffering under the effects of sin, but anticipating restoration and resurrection. I think that's one of the effects of lament is there is something growing within you that right. is an anticipation. That's right. Um, not only that, that God has worked in you in the past, that he's working in you now, and that he's working uh, in you to complete what he started in the future. And certainly that idea of restoration and resurrection is total. It's not, you know, it's not just... We talked about this last week. It's not just that when we experience resurrection of new life upon receiving Christ that our our soul is renewed, our spirit is renewed. We agree with that, but it's not finished. Jesus bodily rose from the grave, and that is the total resurrection that we have to look forward to as God's children, as heirs of the kingdom. Um, And and so I, I think... Um, one of the essential conversations to have is the role of the Holy Spirit in all of that as we pray, as we read, as we, we learn together and worship together. Uh, what role does the Spirit have in that restoration and resurrection?
1: Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good question because really the, the second and third points are interconnected. Um, both in the text and even in the way I tried to, to sort of preach the, the sermon. Um, so you know point two, redemption includes the adoption of God's people as his children. right We're dealing with the effects of sin around us uh, within us, uh, but we're longing for there's this desire. And I, I love what how Paul describes that desire. It's, it, it, it sort of has this idea of craning the neck. Right, you you sort of picture a flower like extending itself towards the sun to get that sunlight and sustenance, and really that's what's happening here. That as we, as we understand these things and as we come to to a realization and understanding of of redemption, there's a a longing that's birthed in us where we crane our necks and we we sort of maybe move ourselves to (laughs) to towards that end. Right, but we know that there's. tension right We already mentioned the already not yet tension that we live in. We're already redeemed but we're not yet fully glorified yeah right yeah. and so we know that there's the Lord in his mercy has given us his spirit right to sort of help us on that path towards what's to come right yeah. And so the third point of the sermon was uh, the third encouragement was redemption is secured by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit right right now, present day, in this moment, he is sharing our burdens and interceding on our behalf, and um, I, I think there's something beautiful in Paul's uh, statement here in verses 26 and 27 that that idea of intercession means to sort of step in. It, it has a, uh, it's sort of a a brother to the idea of mediation, right? To sort of take the place of one. Um, but then he also says that he offers he offers help, right? And that idea of help means to take hold of with another. In other words, to to shoulder the burdens and to bear the burdens with someone so that it becomes manageable, so that the person doesn't lose heart, doesn't become faint-hearted, and so that they can endure and persist through some potentially really rocky roads and difficult places. And I think we sort of forget that side of the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does, I'll stop there because <laughs> yeah. we're going to talk about some of the maybe the misconceptions or misunderstandings we have of the Spirit. Sure, um, but let's talk about who He is, right? Yeah, who is who is the Holy Spirit?
0: Yeah, I think uh, when I when I consider the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the present ministry He has in my heart now, and what He will—you know—you've already mentioned that when we receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, which is called the Spirit of Christ, as a down payment, uh, knowing that the final payment is the final glorification. We anticipate that. We look forward to that. But one of the things I I like, especially about Romans chapter 8, in verse 26, is it it talks about how uh, sometimes not only do we not know what to pray, right, but sometimes we don't know how to express what's going on in us. And the good thing is that the Spirit of God indwelling us understands us better than we understand ourselves that's right and we can understand there's a problem we can understand i don't know how to express what's happening in my family in my in my life in my church in my world but i'm going to cry out to the to god and the beauty is that you know we can be honest with the lord right but we don't have to be comprehensive again who are we praying to? Our Father in heaven, That's right. who knows all things, who invites us to share with him what's going on in our heart. But we don't have to be comprehensive in scope because of the Spirit of God that is interceding on our behalf, kind of going between. Christ's blood makes it possible for us to have that mediatory relationship and that extension of the Spirit of God within us. I can we said last week it's sort of this sinking. That takes right. place. S-Y-N-C, right? The sinking that takes place. And so I, I love that passage because so many times I have had a problem that would probably take days to describe if I was informing God of my the comprehensive nature of my issue. But all I really need to say is, God, please help me. I need help with this or that, or I don't understand this. Please direct me. Please provide. And he's a father that understands and the spirit of god infuses those words completes the thought the sentence yeah. whatever it might be that's the beauty of prayer in reference to the holy spirit the interceding part the helping part and so yeah i mean there is a lot to discuss in this this relationship of the father the son and the holy spirit we're brought into that community we are given a comfort we are given a help we're given the spirit as a guarantee And man, it it is this incredible picture of community and the family of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jamie McClanahan, (laughs) right? (laughs) Or Will Soto or whoever else, right? And so, man, what a beautiful, beautiful, uh, really, I guess, uh, what a beautiful relationship to ponder that we're brought into the Holy Trinity.
1: Yeah, I I think, you know, when... When we read uh, the Gospels, we see that Jesus is well acquainted with sorrow, right? In fact, he's called a man of sorrows, mm-hmm. someone who uh, experienced the word, the real world around him in real time as, as a real human, and um, he endured it, and he persevered through it. But then he reminds his disciples in John, I believe it's John 14, right? I'm going, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm not going to leave you alone, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, I'm going to send someone, a helper, who's going to do a variety of things in in a variety of circumstances, right? And I think what he's doing there is he's connecting his own sense of sorrow and lament for the sin around him and and the effects of that sin and the struggle that we endure, that he endured, to say, hey, you're likely going to deal with this too. (laughs) You're going to, as you grow and as we walk in faith, we're going to maybe take notice of just some things that aren't right. Mm-hmm. personally externally yeah. to us and so he gives us the spirit to sort of bridge that gap for us to say hey you don't you can't and you you shouldn't try to take this on by yourself yeah. in fact there's going to be in you know verses 26 and 27 assume that the the sorrow and the suffering is going to be so deep at times that we're not going to be able to muster the words right even if we could formulate them in our brains they may not escape our mouths because mm-hmm. Maybe, who knows, right? and we've we've all been in that place where the cries are guttural and the heaving is yeah. and sobbing is so deep and so so heavy mm-hmm. that there's not a whole lot that comes out right that's coherent. And he says here that you know the spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He searches the hearts and knows the mind right? right? And he intercedes for the saints to the Lord on our behalf and and there is something beautiful there because it means. That the Spirit is not some sort of external force in the world, right? Tipping over dominoes so that things fall into place. He's actively, personally working in us and through us in very specific, maybe unique circumstances that we encounter. You know, and I think in the, in the sermon, if I'm remembering it right, <laughs> I think I mentioned that, you know, we serve a God who is who cares deeply about who we are and what we go through. And when I say God, I don't I don't just mean God the Father. I mean the the full Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That they're they're each intimately involved in the workings of our lives, right. individually and corporately, to sort of bring about this sense of redemption and to provide hope as we as we go through just uh, let's be honest a really dark, difficult world around us, you know. So, talking about the 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 person and work of the Holy Spirit. Um, we've mentioned he's the, you know, the third person of the Trinity. We see in Scripture that he is uh, described as a comforter, a healer, or a helper, rather. Um, we know that, I believe it's Ephesians 1, uh, reminds us that he's given to us as a guarantee, a down payment, if you will. We know what a down payment is in other other ideas, right? Other, other fields. Um, but in considering what he does... There's a couple of portions of scripture that that would sort of direct our steps and our thinking, so that we can rightly understand him. Um, I'll just go through these really quickly. Yeah. Uh, Titus chapter three, we, we see there that he uh, cleanses us, he washes us, he regenerates right. us, according to you know, according to faith in Christ. And so, in that moment where we've trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sins, the Spirit indwells. Yes, but in indwelling, he sort of does some heart surgery to right. clean us out. Right. Yeah. Gives us a new heart, gives us a new nature. Um, John 14, Jesus, um, in his last hours before betrayal and arrest, crucifixion, uh, he tells the disciples that he's sending a helper, someone who's going to be the spirit of truth, who's going to remind them of the things that Christ has taught us. And if you're interested, just as a, an interesting little sort of scriptural connection, Acts chapter 11, towards the middle of that, that chapter, there's an interesting interaction where uh, I believe it's, it's Peter who's speaking, and it says there that the Spirit brought to remembrance a very specific teaching of Christ, and there you, you see the work of the Spirit on display, right? So Jesus sort of gives this instruction or this, this teaching about who the Spirit is, what he's going to do, he's going to bring to remembrance, and then in Acts, you know, weeks and months later, you see this actually playing out in very real time, and so uh, we have the Spirit of Truth who's going to guide us into the truthfulness of, of God's revelation. Uh, John 16, we see that the Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. This is the um, maybe we approach this a little bit more gently, <laughs> personal on a personal scale, right? Because we know that this is not just convicting the world, but also convicting the person. And so, for me as a believer, I know that when i go astray or when i stumble into into sin or i do the, the you know the things i shouldn't do that the spirit is at the ready to say hey let's reroute let's correct course right and yeah. let's sort of move back
0: yeah the nature of that the conviction of sin and righteousness and and, and judgment really uh, the relationship of the, of those mm-hmm. is you know, we're convicted of sin by the Spirit of God. We call we could call that conscience. We could call that yeah, it's um, good. You know, the the little voice in your head. I don't know what it might be, but or, uh, but the Spirit of God uh, kind of generates this, and and, and you're able to, to to know that what you're engaging in is something that is sinning, sinful, which means to miss the mark. It's miss right. the miss the marks of, of God's standard of of God's uh, word. Uh, God's will as revealed in His Word. and But in doing so also, it reminds you that our righteousness is not built upon our work. So once we move through this understanding that we're sinful, we're reminded that although we're sinful and we need to confess this sin that we've engaged in, that Jesus is righteousness. He is our source of righteousness. And okay. so there's no room for pride. And so therefore we place ourselves on the righteousness of jesus and we're reminded that it is his grace his righteousness that offers that restoration right and the avoidance of judgment that we deserve apart from the righteousness in christ and so the spirit of god does all of this i mean sometimes it sort of happens in a simultaneous way other times it's more progressive Um, but one of the, I think one of the agents that, and this is something that we can talk about, one of the agents that I think the Spirit of God uses at times is um, spirit-filled, biblically knowledgeable, kind of experienced people yeah, for to sure. come alongside of us sometimes and say, "Hey, listen, you're you're engaging in this, and it's it's not healthy, it's not good." Yeah. Uh, I, I can recall a, a time in my parents' early salvation history where they had a lifestyle and they didn't know some of the stuff that they were doing was uh, was wrong and so they started going to church they had some people who were spirit filled biblically knowledgeable who lovingly came alongside of them and said hey listen this this needs to to change and then gave them guidance and comfort from the word of god but i think that's uh, perhaps uh, in more uh, maybe an indirect way that the Spirit of God works to convict uh, folks sometimes of sin and to remind them of the righteousness of Christ and the future judgment yeah. that is is to come if behavior does not change. Yeah, does that make sense? No,
1: it makes perfect sense. I think, uh, you know, I, I I've said it often, um, just in, in different teaching and preaching, uh, you know, opportunities that so often the um, most visible, tangible reminder of God's work and presence is, you know, the f- another believer, right? And we see that the one another's in, in, in the New Testament are really intended to show the fruitfulness of the Spirit on display one to another, right? So we see in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, the, you know, the sort of categories of, of function that we have as Christians. But then in the one another's, we see how those things are put into practice. So, you, So you mentioned, you know, the issue of, you know, when a, when we go astray, there's the presence of other believers to sort of help corral us a little bit, right? right. I love Western, so I picture a lasso, you know, and going out and sort of drawing back in. <laughs> but but really, there's something there because you, you look at passages like uh, like Galatians chapter six, for yeah. instance, you know, where um, you who are spiritual, right, restore such a one as caught in any trespass with humility and gentleness. And then there's the phrase, you know, looking to yourself. So you have the the, the issue of sin righteousness right wrongdoing now pull them back and restore them but then also the concept of judgment there where hey we need to look to ourselves so that we don't fall into the same to the same trapping right knowing that we're maybe prone to temptation and maybe even prone to sin in in a variety of ways and so i think i think you're right i think the spirit works and that work is not just personal and private but that's also public and corporate where we see him in relationship and that sort of push and pull of relationships with one another to to see the outworking of, of what he does right and so yeah I think that's a that's really a, a beautiful reminder and'm I'm, I'm thankful to the Lord that um, over the course of my Christian life I've been a believer now almost well over 20 years now more than half my life um, I can recall very specific instances where a brother or a sister in Christ has sat down with me and said hey you know, you're going away, or you're doing a thing, or you're saying something that yeah. hey, we need to maybe you know right the ship a little bit. Right. Let's let's try doing it this way, or let's go in this direction. Yeah. Um, I think also that that's a an essential component of the Great Commission, right? It's not just going and, and evangelizing and making disciples; it's also teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And so, for us, when we when we talk about discipleship, it's a critical component that our walk and our talk, that they match up and that they're in, you mentioned being in sync, that they're in sync with what the scriptures show us, Yeah, you know?
0: I do, and I, I'm thinking about, uh, and not to skip too far ahead, um, we have uh, some other things to consider when it comes to the Holy Spirit, um, but uh, I think of having brothers and sisters in Christ not only say a, gently guide you uh, away from a, a sinful behavior or a habit that is is not leading you to righteousness, but uh, also affirming um, that there is a work going on in you that, that right. God has shaped you, in a sense shaped you uniquely to minister in His uh, in His faith community. That That's you're right. set in the world. That you're set, and so you know First Corinthians 12, 1 through eleven mm-hmm. is on here is. Uh, talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in in, in gifts, spiritual right. gifts, and so it's sometimes helpful to have someone come alongside of you and say, "Hey, listen, uh, mm-hmm. I see this spiritual gift in you, and uh, you you know you should consider walking it out in this way, right. or or however it might be, uh, and and that can happen by a person also kind of looking at the Galatians five twenty two through chapter six verse six. And just saying, look, I see the fruit of the spirit working out of you in this way, uh, and I just want to affirm that in you. I want to see. I want you to know that that I'm seeing some some incredible things from your life, and yeah. the Spirit of God can use other believers to affirm and to encourage as much as He can to so kind of sometimes slow us up or or help correct our path a little bit. Um, that's right. So I don't know. So there's sort of a a negative, but also a positive there.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's that's right. Um, you know you even consider uh, like acts chapter 6 right the the apostles are sort of at the beginning stages of the local church and there's an issue with you know with um, with widows not getting their allotment of food and a group of men come to the elders the apostles and say hey look you know this is a problem and, and the apostles say look we have a very specific task we don't really can't right. really deal with this side of it so here's yeah. what you do go back to the congregation and select from yourselves men who are full of wisdom and the spirit, right? So that yeah. they can tend to this need, right? And so, what the what the apostles do is they say, "Go find men who are capable and gifted, and godly, and whose faithfulness is on display, and let's commission them to, to handle these tasks." Right. And so, really, what you have there is the introduction of deacons into a local church system, yeah. Um, and that's been that's carried forward. But really, what you see. Uh, is the spirit they they're concerned about the spirit's demonstration in giftedness right. um, to be able to use those gifts for the for the not yeah. just the glory of God but for, also for the benefit of the church so that the church is built up uh, in love and in maturity and in depth you know and so uh, I I think we could probably honestly we could probably do an entire podcast episode just on. <laughs> The spirit, just specific, maybe multiple episodes, (laughs) a series, Um, but with the with the sort of few minutes that we have left, we have maybe four or five minutes left, and this might be a uh, a flyby part of (laughs) our time. Uh, What are some, if you had to nail down or pick one major common misconception or misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit, what would it be? This is interview time. (laughs) I think,
0: um, I think sometimes uh, in you know, forgive my language here, but I think sometimes the Holy Spirit is deemed as the redheaded stepchild of the trinity uh the lesser of the trinity uh that's just kind of uh, sort of important but not really um and um i think that's sometimes a misconception uh, and you've already said before uh, and really it's the the scriptural way of looking at it of uh god as three persons right the father the son and the holy spirit mm-hmm. who are fully god uh, and each with the uniqueness about them in that's personhood, right. uh, and so the spirit of God is not lesser than the Father and the Son. Yeah, that's great. Right, and so that's uh, that's that's one. The other, and, and then I'll I'll let you um, either piggyback on that or share some of yours. Is I think that um, there are a lot of uh, churches and uh, perhaps organizations that steer away from anything dealing with the spirit of God because. It uh, brings in emotion that sometimes is uh, in their minds is not able to be controlled, creates chaos, disorder, uh, and perhaps creates more of a a too subjective of a worldview, too subjective of a philosophy of ministry, uh, built more on what they would say feeling versus fact. And so um, instead of in embracing the truth and the reality of the Spirit of God, um, they just completely censure it and say, we're not going to have much of anything in about the Spirit of God. Yeah, we acknowledge His existence, but we don't have any sort of, uh, we're not going to address any of the right. outworkings of the Spirit of God in the life of a believer.
1: Yeah, so I, I won't necessarily piggyback off of it, um, I, I agree 100% with what you're saying. Um, I think it's good stuff, and I think that second point, where on the one hand we have um, may, maybe groups or, or you know organizations that would you know censure the the work of the Spirit, that's a really good bridge into what I would say is my biggest struggle with, or you know, in terms of misunderstandings and misconceptions about the Spirit, is that I, I think we sometimes treat the Holy Spirit as if he's some external force in the world mm-hmm. that needs to be conjured up or summoned it down if you will rather than the indwelling third person of the godhead right yeah. and by by virtue of who he is as equal equally god as much as the son and the father are I, I don't think we need to sort of pursue this formula to say well if we have the right music or if we pray the right prayers or if we just do the right things then we can, have, we can evoke this sense of the Spirit's presence because the Scriptures, even Jesus would remind us that, and I, and I realize the context here is is unique, but I think we, we should be reminded that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Well, Jesus is not physically present right here, right, on Sunday mornings when we worship, right. but he is by virtue of the Holy Spirit that testifies to him. And so for God's people to gather in a place to worship and to pray and to to fellowship and to hear the word proclaimed and to give and all these things, we're not doing these things as a way to conjure the Spirit's presence down. It's to recognize the Spirit's work within us and to draw it out of us, right? Right. To draw him out of us. So so I think we have to be mindful of that, that our understandings of, of who the Holy Spirit is, they really need to be cemented in what the scriptures teach us concerning him. And then at the same time, you know, where sometimes we, on the one hand, censure the Spirit, who He is, what He does. I think sometimes we can overemphasize the Spirit to the expense of the Father and the Son, right? Right. Um, One of my favorite worship songs ever, and I have a lot of favorites, I know, um, (laughs) is, um, I can't even remember the name. Spirit, we love you. Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Glorify thy name. There you go. almost saying, you (laughs) you don't want that. Uh, You know, glorify thy name. And I love it because it it reminds us of each person of the Trinity and each person, Father, Son, and Spirit receives equal praise, because that's how it should be, right? We we sort of tend to isolate Jesus and we we exalt Jesus and we should, but it shouldn't come at the expense of Father and Spirit. And so, you know, there's there's obviously a lot of things we could we could you know go off of in those discussions, but I think I think. You know, those misconceptions, those misunderstandings are pretty pervasive uh, in a lot of uh, mainstream church culture and a lot of the music we sing. Um, in, in some of the ways that we think and some of the ways even that we preach, if we're not careful and mindful, we can sort of cross over into some unhelpful thinking.
0: Yeah, and, 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 and I want to mention one more I think that's important. Yeah, of course. Then I'm not, you know, I really think that there are times where where uh, people will pin the Spirit of God working out of them mm-hmm. um, against what the Word of God has to say. In other words, to say, I have a word from the Holy Spirit that directly contradicts the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God, and the reality is that the, the Word of God, uh, the Spirit-filled and, and, and inspired Word of God, will not contradict Himself. So if someone is saying, I have a word from God and it is directly opposed to scriptures, then they don't. correct. And so sometimes the Spirit of God is claimed as a source of authority in direct contradiction to the plain teaching and interpretation of the scriptures. That's a good point. And I think that's dangerous in a one-on-one conversation in the parking lot of a church. But I also think that's dangerous as worship sometimes is being led in the front of a podium. Uh, We just have to guard against that importance, uh, the importance, again, of knowing the word and and of having relationships, deep relationships with people who are knowledgeable of the word, who are spirit-filled individuals, who have life experience handling the word of God in the Christian life that can help you navigate some of these, uh, these waters. Yeah,
1: I agree. Ah, oh, there's so much good stuff here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I hate to I hate to sort of uh, end things because I feel like we're just now starting to hit a, a, a stride. Um, but I, th- I think unfortunately our time is up for this week. Um, but you know, as as just a reminder, there are uh, several different ways for you to access the podcast. Again, our uh, Wayne Hills app, our Wayne Hills website. Um, various streaming platforms. We're going to release again on thir- either Thursday or Friday, and uh, this week we'll release the first two episodes: last week's and this week's episode. Um, so you can listen at your own uh, discretion, at your own timetable. Um, and as part of this, as we move ahead in in episodes week to week, we also want to encourage you, invite you uh, that if you have any questions or comments um, that you'd like for us to either consider or address in a, in a future podcast episode please feel free to, to email me, will at whbc.net. Um, we'll compile those questions. And uh, at some point, I'm sure we'll do just a Q&A style podcast. Yeah. Um, but we would love to hear from you. Any feedback you can offer uh, would just be greatly appreciated. Um, I think that's all I've got. And so uh, we will uh, will exit stage left or stage right, whichever the phrase is, right? Uh, but next week we are planning to uh, to pick back up. Pastor Jamie is going to lead the discussion on Romans chapter eight verses twenty eight through thirty. I believe it's a yeah. short section, but sure. a loaded section. Right. Um, and we will see you then. We'll uh, talk to you soon.
0: See you later, everybody.